Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Christmas brings people together. We put aside differences. We celebrate the gifts of family and friends. And during the Civil War, there was really not a lot of cause for happiness and unity on that day. But one Christmas, baseball brought Union and Confederate soldiers together. Learn about this amazing story today on Rounders, a history of baseball in America. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special Christmas Day version of Rounders, a history of baseball in America. I am, as always, your host, Jeff Lambert. So today, we're going to be talking about a Christmas Day game that happened during the Civil War. I was so excited to tell you this story and have it released on Christmas Day, and I was so upset at myself. I was looking over the script on Christmas Eve. It was ready to go, and I felt a little scratchiness in the back of my throat, and I had a headache, and I was like, let me take a little nap. And then I'll come back and I'll finish. Well, about 16 hours later, I woke up on Christmas Day feeling absolutely horrible uh, for the final, you know, all the way through Christmas. I was kind of in and out of bed. I didn't eat much for Christmas dinner. I definitely got a touch of something. I'm not sure what it was, but I'm feeling better today. I've got a little bit of it still in my throat, which you might still be able to hear, but I was planning on releasing this on Christmas Day, and then Christmas Day decided that it was going to throw me a curveball itself, unfortunately. But here we are, and there's still cause to celebrate the story we're going to be discussing today, all about when a baseball game was able to unify the troops during the Civil War during a really tough Christmas year, both for the Union and Confederate sides. So I'm really excited to retell this story for you in the heart of the Christmas season to kind of give us that that feeling that really baseball can be that medium to bring people hope and joy no matter what time of the year it is. And it certainly did that during the Civil War. So before we jump into it, just a couple things very quickly. I want to thank you for the feedback that I've been getting, not only on social media, but through the newsletter. People have been signing up. I'm really excited to see the growth. Just a reminder, follow on social media, please. We release, try to release things every day. Just little nuggets to give you some baseball injection into your life, especially during these colder months and during this lockout that we're dealing with. Also, you can sign up for the free email newsletter. Once a week, we're going to send you... Uh, well, a newsletter, an email newsletter, and it's going to contain a link to this episode. It's going to contain some inside the episode, further uh, information that you can check out, some opportunities for you to be able to just really learn more about the topic that we're discussing. And then, of course, for premium members, if you decide to support the show financially, we have a free weekly episode called This Week in Baseball History, an additional podcast that you get for free, as well as other perks, including things like 
being able to comment and join in on discussions that we're having related to baseball, all kinds of things, really. You can check it out by going to the link in the show notes, or you can just go to rounders.substack.com. Check it out. You can sign up for free, or if you want to help me support the show and continue growing it in 2022, you get a lot of perks for becoming a premium member. So with that said, let's go ahead and jump into our episode for today, the Civil War Christmas Day Game. All right, ladies and gentlemen, travel back in time with me to 1862, December of 1862. And before we get into the details of this baseball game that was played on this date and year, I want to jump into a little bit of the background. We are almost smack dab in the middle of the Civil War. It was December of 1862. Both sides are determined to keep fighting. We're going to see almost another two years of fighting that continued And really on both sides, things were not particularly enthusiastic. You have both sides that were hoping for a quick finish to the Civil War. As a matter of fact, the Union thought that they could finish it in six months. Obviously, that didn't occur. The South was hoping for a similar result by being able to encroach a little more quickly towards Washington, D.C., and putting pressure on the Union to be able to surrender. That is a whole other story unto itself. But really, it comes down to the fact that both sides had suffered really uh, morale-dampening losses, uh, both in terms of men and in terms of battles won. So let's start off with the Union. The, the northern side, they were riding some highs up until about midway through 1862. This was about when we saw the Peninsula campaign really fail. So the Union had put together a large-scale effort, offensive effort, to drive deep into southern Virginia to try and be able to stop the Confederates by taking over their main headquarters, by taking over the Capitol in Richmond and really just shutting down the the main administrative structure for their entire uh, operation. And so the Peninsula Campaign did not go cleanly for the Union in 1862. They handled really badly some of the battles that were involved with that. So we had heavy losses that were incurred by the Union at Antietam, at Perrysville, at Corinth. All of these, even though some of them did lead to minor victories for the Union, the loss in terms of Uh, manpower in terms of just human cost was so high that by the time we got to the end of 1862, we saw just uh, hopelessness in a lot of ways. When is this going to end? Are we ever going to break this stalemate? And it wasn't any better for the Confederates either. So the Confederates were in the same situation where they had hoped that they could be able to end this war quickly, that if they could just drive the Union to a point of attrition where they got tired of fighting and gave up, they would grant independence or they would recognize the independence that the Confederacy was looking for. But that didn't work as well. And, and just to give you an example of some of the human toll, like I was talking about, at the Battle of Antietam, we saw 23,000 men killed, wounded, or missing. It was the bloodiest one-day battle of the Civil War. Just one example of the, like I said, the human toll that both sides are seeing. And so going into Christmas of 1862, there were not a lot of reasons to be happy. There were not a lot of reasons to be hopeful, unfortunately. And baseball helped fill the void, especially during this time, as we're getting into the deeper months of the war 
And I think that question of wondering when is this going to end and finding ways to find diversions to be able to keep up morale for troops on both sides. So baseball was that much needed morale builder that provided a mental break and some physical conditioning for the troops. And, you know, after really long days at camp, you had armies sitting and doing nothing for months at a time, waiting for the call for battle. And there needed to be something to be able to fill that gap. So it was, a, it was a boredom cure. It was a way to be able to boost that spirit. Like I said, baseball did a great job of doing that. So as we're heading into 1862, the end of around Christmas, the morale's low on both sides. Now, before we get into the game, I do want to talk about the Civil War being responsible for baseball's increased popularity in the United States. This can't be overlooked, and I think it's important to look at that before we go into the game. So look, we know that before the Civil War, baseball did exist in a very basic form. It had been brought over from England. I did a great episode on the origins of baseball. It was actually the first episode that I ever did. If you go all the way down to episode one of the podcast, you can listen to that. Even the origins of baseball going back to ancient history, I discuss. But baseball, you know, in the mid-1800s certainly was in its infancy. We see different uh, rules being applied based on where you played. Kind of the hub of baseball in its early years was in New York. And that's where we saw uh, a major uh, improvement to the game, a refining of the game occur more than anywhere else. So what we saw during the Civil War was that people who had been playing baseball took that sport, that love of the sport, with them, and they came into contact with troops from other parts of the country. And these were young men. These were individuals who were excited to be able to play games, to be able to uh, introduce a diversion that they could share with others. And so that became a thing where we saw baseball go from kind of a gentleman's club sport amongst these sporting associations in New York to becoming more of an everyman's game in the Civil War because it didn't matter now what level of class you were, if you had the money to pay the dues to join one of these clubs, these exclusive clubs that had existed in New York, or um, being able to be a part, of, a part of society that had enjoyed baseball up until this point. Now you had rich and poor playing baseball together in these military camps or in prisoner of war camps, learning the sport, and then, of course, taking it back to their hometowns to be able to play. And so the Civil War was directly responsible for making baseball really a national game because you saw people learning it and passing it on and then it going back to larger parts of the country than where it may not have existed before that. So we see that that tie-in together. And players had to get creative, especially when they were playing baseball, you know, out on the trail or in their camps because they didn't have the equipment that they might have enjoyed if they had joined a professional organization and didn't have the money to be able to do that. The Union and Confederate Army certainly didn't supply any sort of materials to be able to play this game. So we saw, you know, uh, when proper equipment wasn't available, we saw players use things like fence posts for bats. We saw them use barrel staves or tree branches sometimes. Uh, sometimes they would wrap walnuts in rags and use that for baseballs. Sometimes they would lump corks together and use that as a baseball. So players got really creative. Troops got really creative when it came to playing baseball during the Civil War. So again, we see the Civil War really responsible for popularizing the game, and we see troops really taking to it as a diversion. As a matter of fact, 
the Baseball Almanac lists five different historical records of baseball games that were played during the Civil War officially. And today we're going to talk about one of those, and that's the Christmas Day game. There was also a popular uh, prisoner of war game that was played in Salisbury, North Carolina in July of 1862. Because of the time of year, I decided to focus on the Christmas Day game, but that's certainly one that we may revisit in the future, that POW game. So there are uh, plenty of examples in the historical record of baseball games being played officially during the Civil War by the troops. Uh, and it wasn't, you know, again, the cleanest thing. They were using improvised materials. Sometimes games would actually get interrupted by the call of battle. We actually have an account from a George Putnam, who was a Union soldier, and he wrote in his journal once that there was a game that he was playing in that was called early due to a surprise attack on their camp by Confederate forces. And this is what he had to say in his journal. He said, quote, suddenly there was a scattering of fire, which three outfielders caught the brunt. The center field was hit and was captured. Left and right managed to get back to our lines. The attack was repelled without serious difficulty, but we had lost not only our center fielder, but the only baseball in Alexandria, Texas. You know, it, in a way, it, it's, it's humorous to think that a game could be interrupted but then you think about we saw actual loss of life occur here. So, you know, players are, are taking part in games as a diversion, but the real uh, realities of war would seep into that. And this is just an example from George Putnam's journal. So baseball continued to be a popular sport, continued to spread throughout the United States after the war once these troops went home. And then, of course, like I said, we're setting up here in December of 1862 we're entering a moment where there's a lot of hopelessness, there's a lot of dejected feelings on both sides going into what is normally a happy, festive, joyful time for families going into December of 1862. So the good news is, is that there was a game that was played for Christmas between Civil War troops that was able to brighten the moods and bring some joy and hope to these players through the game of baseball. And that's the game we're going to talk about today. So we call this the Christmas Day baseball game, the Civil War Christmas Day baseball game. And again, this happened December of 1862. This occurred at Hilton Head, South Carolina. And there were regiments from New York that were stationed there. They decided for Christmas that they were going to organize a game. And this game was part of a larger selection of events that were planned to try and bring up the morale of not only Union troops, but also Confederate prisoners of war that were stationed there at Hilton Head. So the two teams mainly consisted of troops from the 165th New York Volunteer Infantry and the other team was made up mostly of troops from the 47th and 48th New York Infantry Regiments. Now, again, remember, the hub of baseball, especially before the Civil War, the cradle of baseball, was New York. So New York troops were taking this game with them wherever they went. Here they are stationed in South Carolina, and they're scheduling a Christmas Day baseball game for the diversion of all troops there. So they're the ones that are primarily taking the field, but everybody showed up to watch this game. We saw Confederate prisoners of war being allowed to attend this game to watch. And this may have been their first exposure to baseball. Just think about that for a second, that these guys had never seen this game played before, let alone in some sort of semi-professional sense. And they get to come to this game. There were a couple Confederate troops that were allowed to play, and then the rest of them were able to watch if they so chose to, cam, uh, to come to the game. 
uh, in the stands. So we see Union troops sitting next to Confederate prisoners of war, both taking part in playing the game, coming together around this sport. There's actually a photograph of Company H of the 48th New York Regiment that made up one of the teams. And this is posted in front of the game, and it's considered one of the earliest instances of the documentation of baseball. And I'll make sure to include that in our weekly email newsletter. So if you would like to see that photo, make sure you sign up so you can get access to that. So we see the events of this game really tie into a larger effort to be able to boost spirits uh, for the troops during this time. And it wasn't just for Union troops. It was for everybody. It was also for Confederate troops as well. So this game happened in December of 1862, boosted the spirits of everybody that was present, and spread baseball even further by introducing it to people who may not have been familiar with the sport up until that point. Now, to go a little bit deeper into some of the details of the game and to also go over some of the accuracy of what we know about happened that day, we're going to go into those details. But first, I just want to take a quick break for the seventh inning stretch. Don't go anywhere. Stay with me. Hey, everybody. It's Jeff, the founder and host of the show, and I have some exciting news for you. In addition to the Baseball History Podcast you know and love, I'm launching a weekly email newsletter. In it, you'll find a link to each new episode, along with curated baseball history news, stories, polls, and more. It's completely free, and it's a simple way to enjoy the Rounders show that you love even more. And for those of you who would like to support the show as a subscriber, you can easily become a member by signing up using the link in each newsletter. For just $5 a month, I'll send you a weekly email with bonus episode content, including our newest show, This Week in Baseball History, where we take a look at the major stories that happened throughout baseball's past and how they relate to America's pastime today. As members, you'll also have opportunities to vote on future episode topics and participate in exclusive events, such as the Rounders Fantasy Baseball League. If you'd like to send me a small token of your appreciation just once a year, We have an annual plan that will save you money over the monthly fee. And if you really enjoy the show and you want to send me a more significant contribution, I've created a Rounders Starting Nine tier for an annual payment of $100. You'll have my eternal gratitude and have your name included in the episode credits as a show producer. In addition, you'll get to choose the topic for one episode each year, and you'll get a free Rounders Starting Nine member t-shirt. Most importantly, you'll continue helping me grow this show. I'm grateful for your support, and I look forward to sharing more of the best stories from baseball history with you in the future. Click the link in the show notes to sign up for the email newsletter today, or go to rounders.substack.com. That's rounders.substack.com. Now, let's get back to the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Rounders, A History of Baseball in America. I am your host, Jeff Lambert. 
Thanks for sticking with me. Today we're talking about the Civil War Christmas Day game that occurred in December of 1862. We saw troops mainly from New York put together a professional show in front of the other troops that were stationed at Hilton Head, South Carolina. We saw Confederate prisoners of war invited to the game to be spectators, and a few of them also participated in the game. It was certainly a welcome diversion from what was going on for most of these individuals and, and the really rough lives that they were living here uh, as we got deep into the, the events of the Civil War. So what we're going to talk about in this half of the show is we saw the event, we know what happened, we know the hope that it brought to everybody that was present. The accuracy of this event, some of the details have been called into question, and it's important that maybe we go through those and look at, from the historical record, how much of this can we say actually occurred. Well, look, the main details of what happened at that game were left for us by one of the players of that game, and his name was Abraham Mills. Now, for my baseball historians out there, you'll recognize this name immediately because he's better known as a gentleman named A.G. Mills. And A.G. Mills was an individual who was very, very influential in setting up the Mills Commission. And he served as the president of the National League and was responsible for writing a lot of the origins of baseball as the national sport, which we've talked about in previous episodes. So A.G. Mills, who played in this game, wrote down in his journal that 40,000 people showed up to watch this game. Now, is that true? Is that not? Well, again, A.G. Mills has a bit of a shaky record when it comes to his accuracy in, in terms of the details. Just to give you an example of that, A.G. Mills, like I said, was very uh, prominent in baseball's early years. Uh, he also was the one that was mainly responsible for setting up the Mills Commission. And the Mills Commission set up this mythological uh, introduction to why baseball was America's game. They came up with the story of Abner Doubleday, who had invented baseball, and Cooperstown being the birth of the sport. Now, both of these I've mentioned in previous episodes, and I'll include the links in the show notes about Abner Doubleday and the accuracy of baseball's origin story. Um, I would encourage you to check those out. But basically, a lot of the early details that were uh, put into baseball's canon, I guess you could say, about uh, the lore of the sport, a lot of it is um, subject to some serious accuracy issues. How much of it is still being debated, but there are some details that certainly uh, are called into question. And uh, A.G. Mills is now the guy who's writing about this Christmas Day game. So again, he starts off by saying that 40,000 people showed up to the game to see this. Now, how accurate was this number? Well, let's, let's look at the historical record and see. We know that if we look at official war records, we know that 10,000 soldiers were marked to have been present at Hilton Head in December of 1862. So 10,000 seems like a more realistic number in terms of the troops that could have participated or spectated in the game. Uh, but there is some dissenting opinion on that. So Robert Smith, who is a past president of the Heritage Library Foundation, he has a more optimistic perspective about A.G. Mills' claim of the 40,000 individuals. So this is what he had to say. He said, quote, The controversy about the number of people that could have attended is interesting. So if you think about the number of freed slaves that were on the island at the time... 
the officers who could have brought their wives or the prisoners on the island who could have showed up. All of these people could have very well attended, end quote. So we have the official war record, but we also have Robert Smith, certainly a respected historian, saying, look, there are numbers that wouldn't have been counted in the official war record, as I just mentioned from his quote. So what's the truth? Uh, We're probably never going to know, obviously, but similar to Christmas itself, which is a holiday that is centered around some mystery and a message of unity and believing in the uh, hope of uh, certain things that may not seem realistic, Baseball kind of has that same uh, aura around it, that we have a belief in the sport, that we have a love sport, that we can't explain everything about its origins, but we believe that it is something that brings us together for the greater good. So we know that the game occurred. We know that it was very well attended. We know that it lifted the spirits of everybody there. And this game would not have happened If it weren't for the fact that we had troops from the New York area spreading the game and allowing uh, other players to take part and other players to spectate. And certainly just that moment must have brought so much joy and happiness for all of the individuals there. And then, of course, having the uh, double benefit of having them remember how the game was played and how much joy that it brought them, and them taking them back to their regiments, maybe taking it back home to where they lived after the war, and really helping baseball be able to continue to grow. And look, nowadays, we have things like automatic strike zones, we have batted ball data, we have instant replay. Everything's so rooted in in realism now. There's no myth that's left when it comes to what really happens in games or what really occurs. And it's kind of nice to look back on a moment where we don't have all the details of what occurred, but we know that the game itself really did what we all love baseball for, and that's that it brought people together. And that is the Christmas miracle in itself. So ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you had a wonderful Christmas. I hope you continue to have an amazing holiday to be able to connect with your loved ones, your family and friends. And, you know, in the spirit of this Christmas Day game, I really hope that we can all continue to remember that we have to come together in order to be able to find a way forward. So with that said, happy holidays to you. I wish you all of the best. And remember, as we always say to finish our show, There are only two seasons, winter and baseball. Have a great day, everyone.